This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 14 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is Part 5 in our series on J.J. Abrams, our second series on J.J. Abrams, this one looking at his work as a producer for other filmmakers. And today we're going to be looking at the fifth movie which he produced for someone else, which is... Morning Glory. Yeah, Morning Glory. Morning, which is a type of flower, as well as a uh, an entendre about a um, sexual act, <laughs> but also a movie produced by J.J. Abrams. It is all of these things and more. Um, <laughs> okay, so Morning Glory. It came out in 2010, right? Yeah. So that would be the year after Star Trek 09, which was his second film, and it was a bad robot production along with uh, Brian Burke, and it was directed by a guy named Roger Mitchell, who is a filmmaker of note, surprisingly, considering the types of movies that he makes. He is probably best known for Notting Hill, and he also directed a movie called Changing Lanes, Oh, that movie was terrible. Was it? See, because like so, I remember the, the, the one with Sam Jackson and Ben Affleck. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I remember like seeing the trailer and hearing the premise, which I forget now. And I remember thinking like, that sounds like the most ridiculous premise ever. See, uh, the premise itself wasn't the worst part, and the thing is, there are flashes of like real goodness in it. Yeah, uh, I, re- I remember seeing it in the theater. I went to it because uh, like you know sam jackson fan i was like yeah sure and uh yeah like ben affleck is a guy who basically derails sam jackson's morning sam jackson's a recovering alcoholic trying to put his life back together and because of ben affleck it blows his job interview everything starts falling apart so sam jackson you know basically starts exacting revenge on him through yeah. the movie yeah and the yeah like because there was like a minor like, like a minor car crash or something yeah that- yeah, yeah, but but it's like there 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 are like two different cuts of the movie, hmm. and uh, like the one that got released was it just turned into like this semi actiony terrible terrible thing. Because so. I remember like when the movie came out, it started getting like really good reviews. You know, at least here in Chicago, I think like mm. Roger Ebert loved it and stuff. And I'm like, really? Like, I do I have to watch this movie because it looks so bad? And I didn't watch it, but. Regardless, it was it was very critically acclaimed, as was Notting Hill, which um, was counter programming to episode one. It was in which I remember screening at the movie theater. And <laughs> I, I remember exactly what I said, because I was screening it in one theater and mm-hmm. the, um, the the other projectionist was screening it in the other theater. And I had started my movie first. And I finished it, and I walked over to the other theater to tell the other projectionist that I was leaving, and I remember exactly what I said to him, which I'll have to cut out, but I'll say it for you anyway. <laughs> I, I walked up to him, and I said, I'm leaving now. 
this movie. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but I did. And I stand by it. Um, that's a terrible movie, which people seem to love. And I can't figure out why. Maybe we're just out of sync with everybody. I don't know. Maybe. Did you like, did you see Notting Hill? No, no. It had too, way too much Julia Roberts in it. <laughs> It's it's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. Oh, I I, I believe you. Um, I believe it, you. It doesn't work at all. But Roger Mitchell. Um, so he's he's the guy who made this. People love his work. Uh, just uh, just not us. Uh, well, yeah. Well, we're the I, weird ones this time. Yeah, we're the, we're the weird ones. His other work, at least. Now it was written by uh, a woman named Aileen Brosh McKenna, who mm-hmm. uh, is probably most noteworthy for having written The Devil Wears Prada. Um, which uh, people really love. Um, I I saw it. I thought it was okay. I did not see it. It's not bad. You know, it's pretty Too good. Too much Meryl Streep. Okay. Um, and it she she's also the co-creator of this new show, which everyone loves, which I haven't seen yet, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, yeah, that's gotten a lot. Of, didn't uh, the... the didn't the lead in that just win a like a a Golden Globe or something? Yeah, Rachel Bloom, I think her name is. Yeah, I think she, so. She's the co-creator. She's done. I've seen a lot of her YouTube things. Like she does like these musical numbers for YouTube and stuff like that, and they're pretty funny. Um, like uh, realistic Disney princesses and that kind of thing. You know, oh, it, it's it's good <laughs> stuff. It's good stuff. Um, I think she's done a, a few things with like the robot chicken guys and stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, she's really funny and I I haven't seen this show, but everyone says it's great. Um, so that was, that was the writer. And then, uh, the stars of this movie are Rachel McAdams Mm -hmm. and Harrison Ford. Yes. Who are both very good actors. Well, and also Diane Keaton and Jeff Goldblum and Patrick Wilson. And there are a lot of heavy hitters in this movie. This is true. This is true. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to give a synopsis of, of Morning Glory? Yes. A, uh, a, a female producer expecting a promotion gets canned, uh, begs her way into a job for a failing morning show that continually gets beaten up in the ratings, um, manipulates a contract to get Harrison Ford, who is a Dan Rather-esque venerated newsman, to uh, drag him out of his uh, exile using some sort of contract clause to try to class up the show and hilarity ensues. And along the way, of course she finds love spoiler. <laughs> yes. Yes, she does. Um, yeah. So a kind of a different movie for bad robot for sure. Yeah. Well, is it, but it see watching it though, it really speaks sort of to, um, I think Abrams's TV time with, uh, like Felicity. Yeah. You know, there's there's sort of like the, you know, the professional woman on the go comedy, you know, so, sort of bit like it, it very much felt like a TV concept um, amped up for the for the movies. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that for sure. Um, what, did, what did you think about Morning Glory? I, I mean, it's good. I didn't regret seeing it. Um, you know, Harrison Ford. I the the thing I kept thinking through the whole movie was I, I mean everybody does an admirable job uh, with their parts and uh, like Jeff Goldblum can do no wrong but like Harrison Ford every so often you see an offbeat movie like this with him or something that's not his type of movie 
And it just reminds you of what a gifted actor he truly is. Because, like, you know, you remember Indiana Jones, you remember Han Solo, but then you see this and you're like, wow, he, he's really good at playing against his type. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, really, I really enjoyed seeing him do something a little different. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not great, but it's a good movie. It's worth seeing. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, I was definitely on the fence about watching this, you know, looking at the trailers and everything. I was like, this is not something that I would normally rush out to see. But then again, it does have Harrison Ford in it, and I have a yeah. tendency to see pretty much everything that he does because he really is pretty much the best actor out there. I mean, we we tend to gloss over him, I think, because mm-hmm. we sort of, like, see him as this sort of untouchable icon, but... You know, I mean, usually if if anyone were to ask me, like, who's the best actor in the world? I'm like, Julianne Moore, of course, you know, and then some other people who usually come to mind are like Ed Harris and, uh, you know, um, Tim Robbins or whatever. But I, I always I don't know sort if I of put Robbins in that category. But okay. oh, man, the player. Have you seen the player? I, yeah. I, one movie does not make one. The, I'm just saying you know, in the elite core of actors. He's pretty awesome. <laughs> Oh, he is. He's great. He, yeah, but it, well, okay. Look, th- this is a whole side conversation about like the Hudsucker proxy. Yeah, I got. I don't have anything against him. I just okay. don't think like it, it's sort of like debating what you know uh, quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some quarterbacks that are Peyton Manning and they're Tom Brady, and they have other quarterbacks where I wouldn't kick them off the team, and I'd be happy to have them, but they're not Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know. Harrison Ford, he's someone who I like 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 I was saying does get overlooked, I think. Yes. Because we take him for granted. He is Han Solo, he is Indiana Jones, and yeah. it's like we just forget that, I think. Forget what that means. And yeah. you know, I it, but anytime he has a new movie coming out, I'm like, "Whoa, wait, what? Harrison Ford's in a new movie?" And you know, 9 times out of 10, I I end up seeing that movie probably because he's in it you know but let me guess the number 10 out of the nine times out of 10 was that one he did with josh hartnett right you didn't see that one. Oh, hollywood homicide yeah no i did. i totally you saw did? that one no yeah because no here's the the very interesting thing about hollywood homicide and i have a, aside from it you know whatever okay it was directed <laughs> by um what's that guy's name ron shelton okay who okay. He did like bull durham and stuff like that and he had two movies come out that year, Dark Blue and Hollywood Homicide. And Oh, um, man, I saw Dark Blue. It's awesome, right? Yeah, that that's the Kurt Russell one, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Another person I'd put up there in that elite yeah. list. No, I did. Kurt Russell is up there, yeah. <laughs> and um, he, it's like if you look at those two movies, yes, they are different. But essentially, if you strip it down to like the bare essentials, they basically are the same movie. But one is like a hardcore drama taking place during the L.A. riots, and the other one is like a buddy cop comedy thing, you know? And so, like, it makes for, like, a really interesting double feature. I mean, I did recently rewatch Hollywood Homicide. Not tremendously great, but I have seen it. The, The one that I skipped recently is the one that came out last year with the girl from Gossip Girl. Uh, I forget her name. Oh, and um, uh, she was in the town and stuff like that. Uh, okay, she's 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 a good actress, but where she doesn't age, like she's like uh, 
Um, oh gosh, yeah. No, I know the movie you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Age of Adeline. Yes, yes, it? yes. That one. Yeah. Yes, yes. Age. Of oh, Adeline. I didn't know Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford's in that. Yeah, like she. Oh, he plays that. like her lover, but like after, like you know, because they fall in love when they're like in their twenties. And then she stays like Please in her twenties. Please tell 20s. me Shia LaBeouf played him when he was in his twenties. No, I wish. Oh, come no, on. No, yeah. Well, of course, all like the Force.net and everything is like this guy's playing young Harrison Ford. So you know, maybe he he would make a good young Harrison, yeah. Ford, a young Han Solo. And it, no, it doesn't quite. Work <laughs> um, so I, that was the one that I missed. But like, but you're, what you're saying about like him in different types of movies and still kind of rising the to the occasion is true. I mean, this is definitely one of those cases. Uh, another one, I think, would be 42, the Jackie Robinson movie. I did. I never got a chance to see that. That was out of the theaters around here too quick. Yeah, check it out. It's really, really good. Um, Brian Helgeland directed it, the guy who wrote L.A. Confidential yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to see it, but it was just, it was in and gone so quick. It's excellent. Um, it's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, he, he's he's good in it, um, and so is Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams is always good. I mean, and I agree. She's also extremely versatile. I mean, you look at her in like Mean Girls, and she's hilarious in that movie. Um, have you what? I haven't seen Mean Girls. You haven't seen Mean Girls. I oh know my God. everybody wants me to see. Oh mean my Girls. God! Yeah, you have to see Mean Girls. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean. Tina Fey wrote it, and she is, I mean, fantastic she, in terms she's of... She's very comedically gifted. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, oh my God, that, that movie is freaking hilarious. Yes, watch I'll me. put it Girls. on the list of things to see. For sure. After yeah. Josie and the Pussycats, though. Oh, how could I, I forget Josie and the Pussycats? I saw a tweet from some <laughs> random person uh, yesterday, and they were like, this is my first time watching Josie and the Pussycats. How have I not seen this movie? It's amazing. And I'm like, this is what I've been saying. This is what I've been <laughs> saying to everyone. Go watch Josie what? and the Pussycats, people. Isn't it Rachel McAdams? Isn't she in Time Traveler's Wife? She is, yes. Diana? Yeah, yeah. I, I loved that movie. It was good? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I loved that movie. I absolutely loved it from beginning to finish. Thought it was wonderful. Okay, all right. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pulling, not, not uh, yanking your chain here. Okay. Absolutely serious. Worth seeing. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, she's, I, I've been watching, I'm just finishing up now, True Detective season two, finally. Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen either season of that. Oh, well, True Detective season one, you gotta watch because it's like one of the best things ever made. But season two is also really good. And she's just so great in that and like completely different. I mean, like you look at her in Mean Girls and she's like, you know, the mean girl that's what she is you know the and yeah. and in this she's you know this this cop who's just like completely jaded and you know basically spends her time practicing how to kill people with a knife and stuff like that and it's oh, it sounds like she and i have a lot in common i mean <laughs> interesting yeah <laughs> it, it, she's so good you know and um She's really good in this too, even though it is yeah. kind of a, a a light role in a sense. You know, there isn't much for her yeah, to I mean, do. You know, th th there's a lot about the movie that's formulaic, but one of the things that I truly enjoyed about it, and minor spoiler, I guess, is the fact that it feels like the original impulse with movies like these is always to have the crotchety old anchor fall in love with the young, vibrant producer. 
and they don't go down that road with this. And that was one of the things I truly enjoyed about the movie was that they did not make it, well, Harrison Ford's a big actor and Rachel McAdams is an attractive woman, so they should fall in love in this movie. It's like there's not that May-December thing going on that everybody's so tired of. Like that, I appreciated that they did not go down that road. Yeah, for sure. And I thought it was really funny, you know, really witty. You know, I'm also a really big fan of... I mean, I don't know. I, you know, in, in, in high school and stuff, I, I, I spent the majority of my time in the television studio. So even though I've never like worked in that industry, I have a, a fairly mm-hmm. good idea of how the industry works. And I've got friends who work in the industry and everything, you know, so I hear stories yeah. and stuff. And I'm always sort of like fascinated by that type of thing, you know, live television, you know, oh, the yeah. control room and stuff like that. And, and it's uh you know I, I that that is appealing to me you know just movies about the creative process you know and people who make things even if it's just like a morning television show oh yeah i don't know i i i get a kick out of that but i i thought it was very clever um you know very funny um it really took me by surprise and jeff goldblum's in it so i mean come on right uh, he's fantastic in everything even he in this, is. where he doesn't really have anything to do. No, but the thing is, the way he delivers stuff, like he he is the type of guy that is so good at at playing, at, like a role like this is. It would have been so easy for the you know the 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 boss guy that he plays to be too hard edged and too much of a jerk and be like, why on earth would you stay with this person? But Goldblum always infuses that sort of. Um, you know, this is an act. I'm a human being under this. I have to give you a hard time, mm-hmm. but I'm on your like you 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 never get the feeling that he is like it would have been too easy for somebody else to play his part as absolute jerk. Yeah. Whereas he gives it a uh, sympathy. Yeah. You know, where where you could understand wanting to work for the guy even though he's got a hard edge. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's fantastic. You know. Yeah. I I love him in everything. I think everyone does. They're they're releasing yeah. a a pop vinyl of his character from Independence Day. I need <laughs> to get one of those. I need I need original little... Independence Day or current uh, Independence Day. Original, original. I'm sure okay. they'll release the the new one next summer too. But uh, for now, I want a Judd Hirsch. But hey, that's that'd me. be cool. I don't think they're releasing Judd Hirsch in the first wave, at least. But you they never should. know. Yeah, they should. Yeah. Um, the the one thing about the movie that um I. I won't say that I had a problem with it, but it felt like it rang kind of false to me was the ending. Yes, because completely the, agree. There's this whole, you know, thing, obviously, where, I mean, the whole, you know, conflict in the movie is that she's trying to get this show back up in the ratings or else it's going to be canceled. And she brings Harrison Ford on in order to do that. But he thinks that it's completely beneath him. And yeah. is completely unwilling to participate. And then, you know, over the course of the movie, she finds a way to get the ratings up and win the respect of of Harrison Ford, who slowly starts to come around. But there seems to be a beat or two missing in that, you know, arc. And well, it, 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 it almost stumbles over itself because it has like a reconciliation scene. And then he's cold to her again. Yeah. And then he does, he reconciles with her again. And it's like, you know, you can't step it back immediately afterward. 
right. and then step forward again. And and the reconciliation, the final, the big climax of the movie is so over the top. I mean, it it has, you know, yeah. dramatic tension, you know, in that sort of light, you know, you know, comedy way. It has this this dramatic tension, but it also rings very false in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it's just a little too formulaic. And you know what it reminds me a lot of uh, is the, the ending of Notting Hill. Um, it's mm. a- almost exactly the same in, in a lot of ways. And I think that that's kind of, I always had a problem with the ending of Notting Hill. I had a problem with the beginning and the middle of Notting Hill as well, but the ending <laughs> in particular was extremely stupid. Um, yeah. The rest of the movie was just kind of boring. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The, the ending was a little weird, but it's it, what, when you're in it, when you're watching it, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, because of that thing that happened earlier in the movie. Yeah. Well, that's cool, you know? So there is there is that, um, uh, which I, I can appreciate. Also, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure you probably caught this line, but uh, given uh, today's climate, it just made it even funnier. There's a scene in this movie where mm. um, she's talking to Patrick Wilson, who's a fellow producer of who he used to produce a show that Harrison Ford started. Yes. And um, not now they're they're you know, falling in love or whatever, Rachel McAdams and Patrick Wilson. And they're talking about working with Harrison Ford over dinner or whatever. And she's talking about how she keeps on trying to get Harrison Ford to do sort of puff pieces. And all he wants to do is hard news and how he's very adamant about this. And she's giving all these examples. And (laughs) she says to him, I tried to get him to do a story on Trump and he took my Diet Coke (laughs) and threw it across the office. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. now that would actually be legitimate news, and that made me sad. Yeah, well, Trump's always been in the news. He's, yes, you know, I mean, he's he's a mainstay. Um, yes, he's just uh, you know, yes, he is who he is, but never quite like this, and yeah, it's depressing. Yeah. Anyway, as as they know. say, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> They don't need to be that interesting, you know. I, I'm 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 okay with like morning glory level interesting, you know. It doesn't it doesn't need to be like Godfather level interesting, you know. Let's stick to morning glory level interesting. Um, so yeah, okay. What what did you think about it as a bad robot production? I mean, I I, I guess you know, yeah. The point that you were making about it feeling like a Felicity yeah. thing does kind of mm-hmm. make sense, but. It seems to be, and I mean, I guess you do have to kind of dig deep back into Abrams's career to kind of find these types of movies. It definitely seems like if, you know, we see, let's say, uh, Joyride as a starting point and we look at mm-hmm. where it was going from there, it seemed like it was building and building. You had Mission Impossible 3, Cloverfield, Star Trek, and, you know, yeah. it was like, and then there's this. So it ah. it feels like kind of an outlier. But is it really? Because he already had the relationship with Harrison Ford from regarding Henry. That's true. So in a sense, I, I, I am willing to posit because one one thread that, that that's been picked up on as we've gone and, and we've looked through these movies is Abrams keeps building on his relationships. His movies are almost like networking opportunities, mm-hmm. and he keeps building and building. And Ford coming back for this. Indicates not just a healthy relationship with bad, you know, with Abrams, bad, whatever, but undoubtedly was a good 
way to open the door to get Ford to come back for episode seven because Abrams has the good working relationship with him and can come back and say, hey, you know, we've, we've had some good times. You've been in some movies that I produced and, and written and hey, come on back. So, I mean, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I am, you know, I, I'm fairly convinced that you can see still that sort of team building going on here from you know, sort of like a, a networking direction side. And in terms of it being an outlier, you know, he produced Paul Bearer, which is sort of a you know, a romantic comedy, I guess. The Suburbans, which has aspects of it. So this is almost like a, a further refinement of that impulse, um, you know, toward the, you know, the, the, you know, the multi-plot line love story that, that's going on. I guess it's true. I don't know. It it does sort of seem to lend a certain legitimacy to this movie, which you normally wouldn't find. I mean, like having that bad robot logo come up in, in front of Morning Glory. I think, I don't know, there's something about it which I, I love. And certainly that is what got me in the theater for the most part. That and, well, the fact that I was getting paid to watch it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it, 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 and... I think what we do see here, too, is even though it is this sort of light comedy, he is getting, you know, top tier talent. I mean, like Harrison Ford and Rachel McAdams and Diane Keaton, but also behind the camera. I mean, Roger Mitchell, as much as we hated the two movies which he had done prior to this, which he was known for, they were both very critically acclaimed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that Abrams saw something in there that, that he liked and with uh, McKenna, the writer, you know, she had already done Devil Wears Prada. That thing was a huge success. Yeah, and she had written a lot of other movies in this same vein that were also rather successful, like 27 Dresses and stuff, which is a terrible movie. But regardless, <laughs> she, she she wrote like a number of hits, you know. So in the same way that, you know, you get a big name action director to make a a big action movie, I mean... In the, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like light comedy equivalent, you know, circle, like McKenna is, you know, the the Michael Bay of of light comedy. <laughs> you know what wow. I mean? That's uh, <laughs> I mean, I in know. the sense That's, where it's uh, like, is that a compliment? Uh, I, well, okay. I love Michael Bay in general. I, I, I don't think I've I don't think he's made a movie which I haven't liked on some level or another. Really? Not even Transformers? I like the first Transformers a lot, and I like the third one a, a whole lot. Um, the second one, I think, is kind of ridiculous, but, you know, I can sort of forgive it. And the fourth one, pretty much the same thing. Okay. But, like, the odd number Transformers movies, I think, are pretty freaking solid. I I tapped out after the first one, but okay. Watch, no, that's cool. Watch the third. Skip the second one, okay? Fair enough. Skip the second one. Watch the third one. The third one has sort of like a an epic blockbuster scale, which is frankly lacking in movies these days. It feels like the type of movie that you would see on yeah. the massive screen and just be sort of blown away by the... Okay. It does. It has that, that sort of epic quality to it. And but see, to speak Chicago. to the epic quality, I think that's what what you pick up on as the outlier aspect of morning glory is that Abrams has continually built like up to this point is continually built in terms of scale. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this has scale of acting talent, but it doesn't have scale of blockbuster movie. Like, there's yeah. no way you're releasing this movie and you're like, we're going to have a $500 million box office. Like, you're like, this should make its money back and probably some extra, too. Yeah. And it, but it's it's interesting. I mean, for sure. Anyway, I, I kind of like that. You know, just that, I don't know. Yeah. I like it when people, you know, it, it's... Like, I didn't see, I feel like a phony because I didn't, you know, see this. But as someone who's a fan of Roland Emmerich, for example, mm-hmm. and his movies, you know, and Independence Day being great and, uh, you know, enjoying the day after tomorrow for what it is and that kind oh. of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but for someone who who is like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Roland Emmerich is going to blow some stuff up and that's going to yeah. be cool. But then I re- I rem- see, I remember things like Universal Soldier. See, I never and, saw a Universal Soldier, so I feel and Godzilla. Uh, that was terrible. Sure, yes. and 2012 was terrible as well. But oh, you can't even drag me to a Roland Emmerich movie by this point. Well, okay, but see, here's the thing: is I don't know. I guess I always think back to what it was like watching Independence Day and how great that was. So, like when Stonewall came out earlier this year, I was like, I "Is need that a to Roland go. Emmerich movie?" Yeah, and really? I'm like, "Yeah, exactly." Huh. So I'm like, I need to go stone, go see Stonewall because, you know, it's going to be like when I went to see Independence Day. And I ended up not seeing Stonewall, which I feel kind of, of bad about. Didn't. Yeah, and the reviews are, have, I mean, it really kind of doesn't matter whether he's blowing up the world or, you know, yeah. talking about uh, the gay rights movement. People are like, this guy is really bad at writing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, even though he doesn't write, well, I mean, I don't know. But, you know. I, I like that. I like the idea that, you know, Roland Emmerich can do a teeny tiny movie that gets just a limited release. Yeah, it did and he also did a movie that uh is pure bunk about uh what was it, anonymous about Shakespeare? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd love to get him in a room and debate Shakespeare with him. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, and everyone, mm. you know, it's it's weird, you know. It doesn't matter what the scale is. It's like he does twenty twelve and NASA's like this is uh the most uh, scientifically inaccurate movie ever made. You know, he does Stonewall, and, you know, the gay community is like, this is the most historically inaccurate inaccurate movie ever made about, you know, uh, this, yeah. the gay rights movement. And then he does, you know, Anonymous, and, you know, Shakespearean scholars are like, this is the most inaccurate portrayal of William Shakespeare in the history of cinema. Or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter or what the, he does. Or the, or, yeah. yeah. I'm sure aliens yeah. are like, Independence Day is garbage. <laughs> We're nothing like that, you know? We wouldn't bother with the giant ships. We're just going to infiltrate your population and suck your brains out. Exactly. You know? The guy just can't win no matter what he's making. But, you know... <laughs> Wouldn't it be great, though, if like there's some alien, like because everything gets beamed out into space. It's like the beginning of contact, but we ride a signal, and it's like to some alien planet that's like horribly offended by their portrayal in one Emmerich movies. Either so, that, see, or, you know, people are like, these. look at how he portrays aliens, and then it gets to the alien homeworld, and they're like, he totally nailed it. He got that right. <laughs> now, that would be the worst. <laughs> this is 100% accurate. <laughs> And and what is this Earth? We gotta go there next. <laughs> they're on to us, man. Oh no, wait, no. But that's why they're releasing the sequel to Independence Day is to scare off the aliens to convince them we've all gotten ready for it. I'm, I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Must be. 
Anyway, yeah. So I do kind of like that thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, what you're talking about with the Harrison Ford thing, I like the fact that there is sort of a J.J. Abrams Harrison Ford trilogy where he was a writer and he was a producer and then he was a director, you know? That's Regarding Henry, Morning Glory, Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. We need to watch those as a triple feature someday. Uh, you know what? I, I, I remember seeing Regarding Henry, um, you know, it was on disc years ago. And really loving it. That yeah, was a I've, really good movie. I've, I've actually never seen it. Um, surprisingly, Harrison Ford gives an incredible performance in it, and it, it's it, like it's it's you know it's it's almost like trademark Abrams, where there's this nice, easily accessible moral to it. Yeah, that is you know like you could say is simplifying things, but at the same time is really a good. You know, just really a good message. And, and, you know, you want to talk about Ford playing against type regarding Henry came out, you know, that was around the same time period that he did Working Girl where like he was really trying to play against type a Mm -hmm. lot. And with regarding Henry, it was incredibly successful. I, I I do really want to see it, you know, especially since like Mike Nichols directed it and everything like that. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, But in in that, I I know that I've talked about this before, the Dinner for Five episode with J.J. And it's got J.J. Abrams and Stan Lee and, and, you know, Mark Hamill and stuff like that. And they're all talking about their careers. And, you know, they get to J.J. and they're like, your first movie was regarding Henry. That's insane. You know, and Stan Lee turns to him and he's like, you wrote regarding Henry? And J.J.'s like, yeah. And he's like that was a fantastic movie. That that movie was great. And I thought like, that's so crazy. Like, I mean, yeah. Can you imagine being JJ Abrams and then Stan Lee is just like, you wrote that movie. I love that movie. That's so weird. That would be a very high point in my life. If Stan Lee ever not only knew what I did, but, uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, any final thoughts on, uh, morning glory? Uh, lens flares over the uh, opening credits, which was oh, nice. I guess there were, and it, so shot, there it was shot anamorphic, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, which is but, cool. the, but there's it's your cool. uh, no, I mean, like the actual uh, the actual uh, credits came yeah. up with that lens uh, flare yeah. effect You're going right. over them. Also, and I thought to myself, I thought to myself, this is an easy J.J. Abrams joke right here. <laughs> but they weren't; they were spherical lens flares, which annoys the crap out of me, especially since it was an anamorphic <laughs> movie. But whatever. Although I do love because the bad robot logo, you know, it's in like a little tiny box, and you see the robot running back and forth, and then he pops into frame, which is a great logo. Um, yeah. But I really did love how the movie sort of got into it, where the movie starts playing in that box, and yes. the box starts zooming in until it fills the screen. I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. Very Star Trek 3-ish. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. I would definitely recommend it. You know, I liked it when it came out. Watching it again now, I, I enjoyed it just as much. Definitely check it out, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. All right, before we go, one little bit of news, I guess. Um, the Screen Actors Guild Awards were... Uh, this past weekend, and um, a lot of people won, a lot of people lost. But one guy who really won a lot yeah. was Idris Elba, who is the villain in the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond. Um, Idris Elba was nominated for two um, Screen Actors Guild Awards, I believe, 
and he won both of them in the span of like 18 minutes, which is pretty amazing. First, he won Best Supporting Actor in a Movie for Beasts of No Nation, and then he won Best Lead Actor in a Television Miniseries for Luther. Um, So that's pretty awesome, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always, you know, honestly, it's always nice, uh, you know, be it Star Trek or any other franchise when, like, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, sort of like the big blockbuster mentality and everything. But then they get somebody who's got real acting chops coming in, like, yeah. especially if they're going to play the villain. Like you want somebody with some real, real acting skills, you know, in that role. So, right. Just like, cool. I mean, it, it's similar. Keep on going back to Michael Bay and Roland Emmerich. But like watching the third Transformers movie for all the whatever it is. You know, it's like that movie has John Malkovich, um, Francis McDormand, John Goodman, you know, uh, John Turturro, a bunch of Johns. Anyone named John? I think you're probably in it, too, somewhere. I, You know, I didn't <laughs> want to spoil it for anybody, but I am screaming patron number three in one of the big battles. Look yep. for me. It's very brief. Yep. But, I mean, it, it's it's kind of, it's kind of cool. that, and, and, you know, it makes sense because... On a movie of that scale, you know, you're going to get the top filmmaker. You're going to get the top directors, yeah. the top, you know, cinematographers and sound designers and everything like that. And you're going to get the top actors, too, because why wouldn't you? Right? Yeah. It makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, Idris Elba, he's awesome. And uh, I I haven't seen Luther. And I know you, you said no, you haven't I. seen it either. No. Everyone says it's really great. I have seen Beasts of No Nation. I'm the one guy who didn't like it, but, you know, whatever. You're the guy. I'm the guy. You're the guy that drove down the Netflix review. Yeah. No, I didn't watch it on Netflix. I went to see it in a theater like a a real American. Actually, not, probably, (laughs) but... You went um, to go see your British actor in a movie about Africa in a movie theater like a real American. Yep, exactly. There you go. Exactly. Just following the line of thought there. Um, but both Beasts of No Nation and Luther are on Netflix if anyone wants yeah. to check them out. So, you know, let us know what you thought about him in those movies and shows. Yeah. yeah. And congrats to Idris Elba. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Morning Glory today, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <laughs> With Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Scotty, Sulu, and the Enterprise. That is your crew. That is the family of the original series. And yes, we would like to see that maintained and protected and treated with reverence. Earl Grey. Jordy is the one that's like, you know what? No, you're wrong. You're wrong about Data. I'm going to drop a challenge right here, and Data's totally going to step up to the plate, and you're going to get served, Plasky. And that's how LaForge created Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> it would be to, I'm not saying it turned out good, but I mean, he had good intentions. <laughs> to the journey! Wow. Part of me is going, wow, this is really good. Another part of me is going, really? Like, this is what you spend your time on? I kind of wish that we could use the whole time that we allot for our podcast for you to read this synopsis because i really enjoyed story time with tristan (laughs) commentary trek stars and i can see you know abram's recognizing that talent and being like you know what i know that you can make a good movie here you know i'm not convinced that i can yet but i think that you can and i'm gonna learn from you too so that one day 
I can make a Star Wars movie. The 602 Club. How do these kids work for you, especially in this first movie? It's amazing when you look back on, on how far they've come and the chemistry that they had right off the bat because from the word go when they were on the Hogwarts Express all at the same time, that's really when it, it took off. That's really when the movie took off for me. Literary treks. I was given a couple of mandates for Rough Beasts of Empire, one of which was, of course, jump the story ahead four years. Another was get Cisco back on a starship um, and also have Spock uh, in, in the story. Women at Warp. You can always count on DC Fontana to Vulcan things up, and I, I for one, appreciate her for that. Get Vulcan with it. Na-na-na-na-na-na. Get Vulcan with it. Meta Trex. Don't tell me you haven't wondered what it's like to be Patrick Stewart. Actually, I've wondered. I've, I've often wondered what it's like to be the Shat. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to know. It's one of a kind. He's one of a kind. <laughs> He's one of a kind. Melodic tricks. But it's basically from a motivation of not treating the audience stupid. You know, treating them that they have dreams, they have imagination, they have hope, they have fear. They have all those things, and the music plays on them. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on TuneIn. You can find us on uh, the Windows phone. Or you can find us on uh, SoundCloud. Or you can find us on our website at Trek.fm. So Be sure to check us out on all of those places. And, hey, when you stop by iTunes, leave a review for us. Yes, please. Because why not? We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So if you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact. Or you can find us as a network on Twitter at trek.fm. Or you can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And you can also find the Babel Conference on Facebook, which is where listeners and hosts interact and talk about whatever we want to talk about, like um, the viral marketing campaign for Cloverfield 2 or whatever and stuff. Yeah. Apparently, you can buy the actual root beer, that swamp root beer, which you see them. That's a real thing. No way. It's a real thing. Yeah, apparently. And if you go to the website and you buy it, they will send you like a couple of jigsaw puzzle pieces because they're putting together the jigsaw puzzle in the, you know, and it looks like they're starting up the viral marketing campaign again, like bring, bringing in the, like people who subscribed to yeah. the, the, the company or whatever, the fake company from the first movie. Now they're getting like emails saying that like their accounts have been reactivated or something. So it's cool. Crazy. They're they're doing crazy stuff. So yeah, yeah, you can go over there and talk to us about those things or or Idris Elba or Star Wars or whatever. Yeah. Um so where can people find you, John? Well, you can find me on Twitter, uh Kessel Junkie. You can find me lurking around in the Babel Conference, talking about not just this show, but also from there to here. Um, which is a wonderful effort from Trek FM. And then I am on a podcast called uh Words with Nerds with my buddy Craig, where we talk about just about everything under the sun having to do with nerdy and geeky things aren't you on a, another podcast now too 
And now you can also uh, hear me on Aggressive Negotiations, which I'm co-hosting with uh, Trek FM's own Matthew Rushing, which is a, uh, a podcast focused on the more uh, esoteric corners of the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, a little bit topics that are a little bit more offbeat. Yeah. Like what? Give an yeah. example. Uh, well, our first show was focused about uh, small moments. Um, and uh, we, we've got an episode uh, coming out shortly, which is uh, focused strictly on looking at the theme of friendship um, and the types of friendships and relationships. Uh, and our point of attack is looking at the Poe and Finn relationship and then comparing, contrasting it to the other friendships that you see throughout the entire saga. Interesting. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. You can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, or you can also find me uh, here on the network producing from there to here and, uh, you know, talking on that show uh, quite a bit. And you can also find me on uh, CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary track stars. And you can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars, and you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. All right. Uh, before we go, um, one way that you can help us out is by going to trek.fm slash store and buying some ah. stuff from our Redbubble store. Yes. T-shirts and sweatshirts and, and uh, stickers and all of those fun things that uh, you can, if you're going to a convention uh, sometime soon, say in this year to celebrate the 50th anniversary, you can wear your Trek FM shirt. Make sure people know about the network. Absolutely, yeah. Another way that you can help us out is by going to patreon.com and becoming a patron of the network. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you can find us and you can uh, donate to help the cause and, and uh, get some, some cool perks along the way and uh, you know help us uh, pay for hosting and bandwidth and all that crap. And uh, yeah, yeah, we we would appreciate that greatly as well. And there's one more way that you could help us out, and that's by supporting our sponsor, which is Audible. If yes. you if you go to audibletrial.com/trekfm, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a free trial to see just how great Audible is. Do you have a book for us this week, John? Yes, uh, this week in, in honor of our movie, it's uh, The Morning Show Murders, written by Al Roker with Dick Lockie, uh, narrated by Al Roker. And uh, the description is, network TV can be murder. Just mm -hmm. ask Billy Blessing, famous for his smile, charm, and ability to survive the shark tank that is high-stakes morning TV. His career has just taken a very dangerous turn, however. His show's perky co-host, Jim McCauley, has launched into some brass knuckles contracting negotiations. And then the network's head honcho is murdered in his luxury apartment. And an ambitious DA decides that Billy is to blame. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. All right. So... That's five J.J. Abrams productions down and two to go. Two Just to go. Two to go. And yeah. they're both Mission Impossible movies, but not the one that he directed, which makes it right. cool. So yeah. next week, we will be back with um, another movie by Brad Bird, which we've covered elsewhere on this show. 
And um, that is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. 